Hello, I'm Amy Keeley, Head of News, and this week we have a bonus podcast for you from our news editor, Ben Island, who caught up with the fitness king himself, Mr Motivator, out at this year's Global Travel Group conference in Orlando. He also spoke to former Blue Peter presenter Katie Hill and global boss Andy Stark. Hello everyone, uh, welcome to Travel Weekly's latest podcast. Um, I'm Ben Island and I've got Mr Motivator with me here. He's in the house. He's in the house. Um, so, first things first, what's your, what's your real name? Uh, my friends are allowed to call me Derek Evans, you just have to call me Sir. Sir, okay, so, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with Sir for our um, It does feel, feel weird addressing you as, as Mr. Motivator every time we speak, but um, is, is it something that over, over time people, people have always addressed you as? Or? I tell you what's really strange is if I'm walking down the road and someone shouts out Derek, I naturally assume that they know me fairly well. And it's strange when I turn around and it's someone who just read about me, knew my name and stuff like that. But generally, you just call me whatever you're comfortable with, call me. So how did you get into the, the fitness instructor thing yeah, in the first place? You know, it's, 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 as I say to everyone, it's that light bulb moment. It's that moment when, in fact, you, you feel that that is right and that is you. And it all happened because I walked into a leisure centre in Harrow and there were all these women, about 200 of them, doing what was then called pop mobility. It's a kind of Jane Fonda type of um, exercise. And I was kind of transfixed, and I really felt that this would be me. And uh, I just kept going back every Tuesday and sitting at the back and looking at ladies' bums, but at the same time <laughs> learning exactly what exercises were being done. And, uh, and that's how it kind of grew on me, and, uh, and that was the kind of beginning. And so, so when did you decide, at what point did you decide to become an instructor yourself? It, it, it was after I started these classes and found I really had an affinity for, um, you know, what was going on. I really enjoyed um, doing it and uh, I felt that the public travelled for miles. I mean, I used to do classes where people would travel 15, 20 miles to come to my classes. And, um, and it was, I couldn't figure out what the reason is. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if you're enjoying it, that's the beginning. And I think that's what's important. I was loving what I was doing and, and really I was having just one big laugh when I'm on stage and that seems to resonate with people out in the audience. And, and so my classes just kept on growing and growing and growing till eventually instead of just doing one night in a church hall, I was doing two or three nights and then being asked to go around the country with the Heart Foundation to do talks and do exercise demonstration to people who didn't normally or wouldn't normally exercise. Yeah. I suppose in a way you're, like, you're, you're a bit of a prelude to, to these days, exercise is so popular so yeah. um, but you were there so 25 years ago yeah and, and, and when you say it's popular it's interesting because I think all we're doing with the fitness industry is actually creating new things for the existing people who exercise we we're giving them more choices we're not making it enticing enough so that more people get up off their butt and start doing something about it and that's because I believe that health clubs are just not socially driven. They're more interested in new year and getting new members in and new memberships and stuff like that, rather than thinking, how can I maintain the membership? And the way you maintain membership is to create like a social club around it. So people don't just come along to exercise and sweat. They come along because there is the occasional day out. There's going to the movies together. There's going ice skating together. I used to, in my day, you know, I used to take people all the way to Margate and get them to do the rides and we'd exercise on the beach and then we'd head back to the, to the gym. And that's what I used to do. And I think that's what we need to do yeah. to really kind of engage people and get them off their butt. And, and could, you, could you exercise on the rides as well or is it going too fast? I think that was going, I think that was going a bit too far. But I mean, the mere fact that you're exercising your smile muscle is probably yeah. enough. Well, that's true, yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> obviously, we're here to talk about travel and holidays. Yes. Um, you're going to be working with uh, a few 
companies, yes. cruise companies, typically holidays. Yeah. What are you going to be doing for those? Um, we're going to be doing some fitness holidays. <coughs> and in fact, I tend not to like the name fitness, but let's call it wellness holiday. And I think mm, the focus is on... These days, yeah, and it's mainly because I think the fitness industry, as I said, have never got it right because the term aerobics and fitness and going for the burn has isolated a lot of people. And I think you need to kind of water it down a little bit and uh, make it more digestible. And the way you do that is actually probably use term like wellness. wellness. And in using that kind of term, you're thinking not just about the physical side of fitness, you're also thinking about the mental side, yeah. the emotional fitness, you know, financial fitness, all those make you who it, you are. It doesn't quite sound like as much hard work as fitness, does it? Uh, you know, absolutely wellness. right. And I think it's that should be the focus. Out. Yeah, and I think that should be the focus is actually to make it not sound like hard work. So everybody thinks, you know what, I could take on that little yeah. bit. And it doesn't have to be much. I mean, the thing is, walking is just such an underrated exercise and more people need to do, do walking. Yeah. And so, so <coughs> on specific exercises, do, yeah. I mean, I've seen you a couple of times now and, mm. and you, you, I've not seen you repeat any single one of them, I don't think. So, but do you have a favorite exercise or? I, it, you have to find specificity of exercise. So the exercise needs to fit into your lifestyle. There's no point if your lifestyle is sitting at a desk all day, going and running marathons. Mm -hmm. What you need to do is do an exercise that actually is good for you. So it probably means more short bursts of exercise that you need to do. The staircase is a wonderful <coughs> thing to use. I say to everybody, never go into a bungalow. When you think <laughs> that you need to retire, don't go, don't do that. I believe that you remove at least a decade off your life. Stairs are great. And you don't have to go all the way up. You can go up five stairs and walk back down. Yeah, yeah, well, people do it on one step, don't they? Like you can do it on one down. step. Absolutely right. <laughs> I think you just have to be creative. And you don't need me to do, <clears throat> do it or me to be there pushing you along because all the information is available out there. And a lot, a lot of our listeners will be um, <clears throat> working in, well, in shops and, yes. and, and offices. So, yes. so uh, can you talk through a couple of ideas? But, sure, but there's lots you can do. I mean, you know, one of the most important things is to look at how you sit. And it's really important that what you do is not have your chair too high, because when you do that, you're going to round your shoulders, you're going to be leaning forward, and that after a while plays havoc, because it means that the muscles in your chest get worked, but the muscles on the back do not get worked. So you want your, your chair a lot lower. And also, the one thing I always tell everybody is to, to check your posture, and what, the way you do that is to literally put, if you wish, imagine that there is an orange in between your shoulder blades and you squeeze the juice out of that orange. And that's the way you should sit. And just for the context of the listeners, I'm going to now sit up straight because yes. I've been slouching this whole time <laughs> and I feel quite I awkward now. Right. And if you do that, <laughs> what you're doing is you're actually preparing yourself for later life because later life, if you neglect doing that kind of exercise, it will become a problem with your posture. And if your posture doesn't remain upright, you're more prone to falling as you get older. And that is a real concern for everyone who gets mm. older. And because you are focused on um, helping older people yes. keep, keep mobile, keep fit. Yes. You're working with everything, Saga Cruises. I'm working with Saga. I do a lot of talks on Saga Cruises. I do um, demonstration. I try to get people to chuck away their walkers and stuff like that, their zimmer frame, all that. That's my focus. And it's really all about teaching them, reteaching them about their body and what their capabilities are. But the first thing is to get them to sit upright and get them to stand upright when they're yeah. standing up. No round shoulders, no looking down at the floor. Your world, the world looks much better when you're up, squeeze the orange between your shoulder blades and you're looking straight ahead. You look so much more powerful when you do that. <laughs> We're both looking powerful, right? <laughs> um, and was one particular customer you helped on a 
cruise recently, wasn't it? <clears throat> yes, I mean, this gentleman got on. I remember we arrived, it was the Monday, I think it was the start of the cruise. I saw him on the Tuesday, he was walking on with a walking stick. And when I looked at the way he was using the walking stick, it wasn't actually offering him any support anyhow. So I said to him, why do you do it? And he says, well, I was told it's best to have it because I might fall and it helps me with my balance. So I worked with him in terms of the mirror is your friend. Look at the mirror every time you go past one or your reflection to make sure you're upright. That's number one. Number two, focus on looking straight ahead, never looking down at the floor. Right? Number three, do small steps. Stop shuffling. Make mm -hmm. it a step. Place your heel down so it's heel toe as you land. A lot of older people, they shuffle. And that action of shuffling is, again, a way you lose your balance. Right? So it's those kind of pointers that we need to get across to people. And it's a continual message you've got to be hammering away at. You know, you must do this. Look at this. And I don't care. If they hate me in the end, I don't care <laughs> if I get them to actually take control of your life. Because everyone listening, you are the important person. You need to look after you. No one else is important, more important than you. Yeah. And that message, I guess, just to sort of to, to, to finish off, that message translates to you know business owners, so yes. and, and and people who work for for other yes. travel companies as well, isn't it? So yes. take. Well, you you tell me. Well, I mean, the, the the important thing is this, right? The attention we give to running our business should never be greater than the attention we give to ourselves. Right? Because what are you looking for in your business? You're looking for success. To get those success running your business, you recognize that they're definitely going to be mountains to climb. They're going to be shark-infested waters to go across. They're going to be all kinds of people putting you off, causing obstacles, not doing what they should be doing. All those problems. No different to your personal life. No different to looking after you. There's going to be issues on the way. You're going to injure yourself sometimes from doing an exercise. Get up, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and get on with it, with it again. Same thing you've got to do with business. So the message is, look after yourself and later on you won't regret it because, you know, there's no saying, right, that many a man has sacrificed his health in pursuit of wealth and then spent his wealth trying to regain his health and all that he found was a grave. Yeah. So take, put in place now all the work and attention you give to your business, do it for yourself. Yeah. Um, so obviously... The one thing I'd, I'd like to ask you about is your favourite holiday destinations as mm. well. Um, you, you used to live out in Jamaica, so, yeah. so that, that, that was home, not the, yeah, that was not home. The holiday. Yeah, right? and, and you know, the thing about it is that if, if you, where you live, if there's beaches and stuff like that, I think in Jamaica in the last five years, if I've gone on a beach once, that's probably about it. Whereas visitors to the island tell yeah. me all these places I've never been to. So for me, because I do a lot of travelling, either for work or whatever it is, it, it, it honestly, to be honest, I don't really have a favourite. Ask my wife, she'll say, she'll say Thailand. Okay. Uh, because she likes going to Koh Samui and she likes, you know, having a detox and, you know... Wellness holidays. Yeah, yeah, yeah doing all that over <laughs> for, for two weeks, right, or three weeks. I've never been because she's never invited me, so I just, <laughs> I just have to stay. I'm left holding the baby, but that's all right, you know. Um, it's okay, I'll go to Bognor Regis. <laughs> but you, you recently moved to Manchester, you're saying, yeah. so um, now you're based in Manchester. Do you need to find somewhere where it's not raining to go on holiday? Yeah, but you know, I'm very blessed because, I mean, my work takes me all over the place. One minute I'm working in Barcelona doing a talk at a, a conference, next minute I'm in Southern Ireland and so it goes on, or Singapore, you know, I mean, I was in Singapore doing some work there for um, a company and so it goes on. So wherever people will have me is my kind of favourite yeah. place to be. To be honest, my favourite thing to do is just to be in front of people talking about looking after yourself yeah. and making them feel good about themselves. Nothing else gives me greater joy. I'm not one for just sitting on a beach and just 
relaxing. That's not me at all. Yeah, you, you, you're too energetic, I can see. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's that. But I just think time is so precious, right? Yeah. And I think that there are other ways. Look, if it suits you, that's fine. For me, time out for me means probably reading something that's really inspirational, someone's life story and uh, the way they've achieved against all odds. I'm always looking out for good motivational statements and things that, you know, really have made people gravitate toward, towards mm. a certain thing in their lives. That's what I do. Um, I'm really one for... Just, um, just having a good time. I love my music and I love dancing and my wife is one of these people who knows I love doing that in the kitchen when yeah. I'm cooking. Even if it was in Bognor Regis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen, you can make wherever you are the best place on earth. Yeah. It's just a question of your outlook. Yeah. If you see it as being the worst place on earth, then it will be. But if you say, look, I'm having a great time no matter where I am, then you've got to be all right, isn't it? Yeah. And um who do you think? Uh, I was gonna. I was, I, this hasn't flown into the conversation naturally, but I really wanted to ask you this. Who do you think's got a better dress sense? You or you or Jane Fonda? Um, <clears throat> well, being totally conceited, vain, uh, I am the best-looking man in the world. That's the first starting right. point. Number two, uh, I'm not 84 years of age. I'm only 66. Uh, number you three, number three, lycra really suits me. There's no one else who can make lycra bulge in the right places more than me, <laughs> right, okay. right? And number four, there's never ever been another Mr. Motivator, whereas there have been plenty Jane Fonda lookalikes out there, right? He's like Labour Gordler down there. Yeah. <laughs> I hope Jane Fonda's not listening. <laughs> she um, might be. <laughs> on that note, um, thanks ever so much for joining us today, Mr. Motivator, Derek, sir, as yes. we call you. Um, and, uh, My yeah, pleasure. I'm here with Katie Hill, um, former Blue Peter presenter, of course. Hello. Hello, Katie. Uh, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. This is very nice. So we're, we're in Orlando at the moment because uh, Katie's been speaking at the, the Global um, Travel Group Conference. Um, yeah. And she's going to, first of all, tell us a little bit about um, her career and how she got into presenting. And, and then we'll, we'll talk about her favourite destination. So, yeah, Katie, how did, how did you get into the, yeah. the job at Blue Peter? Well, I wanted to present Blue Peter since I was five. And... Um, um, it was the show where I saw girls jumping out of planes and at the time, you know, that wasn't the norm for girls. You wanted a sewing kit for Christmas. This was before the Spice Girls and Girl Power and all of that stuff. And I was quite a tomboy and so Blue Peter was the place that I saw girls doing what I wanted to do. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to present Blue Peter. And literally as a five-year-old, I would tell people I wanted to do it and they were like, yeah, that's great, go for it. And then, you know, by the time I got to 15, they're like, yeah, but what do you really want to do? You know, because it's... And I think when you've got childhood innocence, you have no concept of how unlikely you are to land something and that's amazing because you just go for it and actually somebody's got to land it so yeah. so were there any obstacles in the way along, along that journey um oh yeah definitely i mean I su i'm super shy so that's not great when you're going to go on telly you in front of millions of people no i know i am really <laughs> shy still but i've just spent a lifetime reframing it because i think you know there's there's um uh, as I said earlier on stage, there's two types of people in the world, those who get nervous before public speaking and those who lie. Mm, yeah. um, so I, I, was, um, I was looking at your, your Wikipedia page earlier, I like to do a little yeah. bit of research. Um, yeah. and, and, but one thing stuck out to me, and, and tell me if you agree with this or not, but yeah. you, you're apparently well known for, and this is partly from your Blue Peter time, yeah. training with the England football squad, yes. joining the Cirque du Soleil, yes. and 
making things with sticky black, black plastic. Yes, so all is, of it, yeah, is, is, is that a fair representation of your career? Not really, no. <laughs> um, you should go I on. did, um, I mean, my best thing that I did on Blue Peter was um, I was the first civilian to fly a full display with the Red Arrows. Oh, wow, yeah. And it was amazing. I, I, remember, because I remember watching that. Jeremy Clarkson had attempted to go up with them the week before and he couldn't even do one sortie with them. He brought up his breakfast and... and that was a no-go. And so then they were like, do you want to come and train in Cyprus with us? Yes, please. And so I went out to Cyprus for a week training with the Reds and became the first civilian to fly a full display. And it's, and it's that kind of thing that was what made Blue Peter so phenomenal. It was the kind of access you got to people like the Red Arrows. You know, I flew a, I flew a Tornado and a Harrier jump jet. I went to um, NASA and they let me go and sit in a shuttle before it took off. I mean, because people knew it was the longest running children's programme in the world, there was so much respect for it. And so the doors that opened for you as a result yeah. were just phenomenal. It was mind-blowing. And actually, it was a job that I would have done for free. Yeah. I never yeah, told yeah. them that. Within the six years that I was on the show, because at the time we also did massive summer trips to China. Uh, I went to Mongolia. I lived mm -hmm. with a family in a yurt for a week. That was amazing. Um, South Africa, I did a summer trip there, Australia. By the time I left the show, I had 22 different countries stamped in my passport. 22, wow, okay. It was amazing. And and you just didn't know what you were doing from week to week. And, yeah. and it was just you like crazy. You probably needed a, a travel agent to sort out I all did your, need all a travel your, agent, <laughs> yes. All your arrangements. Yeah. So, I mean, did Blue Peter look after that or did you get involved in that planning process? They looked after yeah. all of that. You'd literally get a car turn up and they'd tell you where you were going. You almost didn't know. Yeah. You know, it was that frantic. Because we won three times a week then. So it was pretty, pretty fierce yeah. going. Um, but it was such a great time to be on the show. You obviously got to travel a lot in, yeah. in, in that show. The travel was definitely my absolute highlight, without a doubt. And it's interesting because in my um, talk here, you know, I was making the point that actually, you know, travel agents, what an amazing job. Like, you know, it's not about booking people's holidays. It's about making life memories mm. for families. Like sure. you are... Selling dreams, I think. You literally are though. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, when I go to the hairdressers, the, all they ask me is, you've got a holiday book? It's like, it's your first opening question yeah, yeah. that everyone, because I think it's, there's something about holidays, like everyone's looking forward to the next holiday, aren't there? There's this real escapism with it. And there's a thing with holidays that just kind of unites the age ranges. And you can take extended family, um, whoever it is that's going, you can build a holiday that works. And I think that's the key as agents. We, I did some work last year out here, funnily enough, with Visit Florida. And, um, you know, I took my kids to uh, Kennedy Space Center, which was amazing. We did uh, a day at Disney, because uh, I had to show them yeah, a theme sure. park. Um, and their highlight of the entire trip was, one day we went kayaking at this place called Shingle Creek mm -hmm. in Kissimmee, right, right in the middle of Kissimmee. And it was amazing. We had an hour kayaking, these tiny little kayaks, up this creek, all the low-hanging vines and everything. And interestingly, for 12 and 8-year-old kids that I've got, to cite that as their highlight of the holiday, mm. it was Especially the simplest thing. Yeah, well, yeah, we've been to Disney for the day, for goodness <laughs> yeah, sake. Yeah. But it was, it's the simplest things, and sometimes it's because doing the big stuff is quite stressful as a parent. And actually, it is in those quiet moments when you're 100% in the zone with them and 100% connected. And that kind of information, obviously, because I was doing some work with Visit Florida, they organised that, but that's the kind of knowledge 
that travel agents would have yeah. that you wouldn't get if you were just booking online. And yeah, that's sure. the USP of why I would go to a travel agent. It is for that local knowledge. Yeah. And it's knowing that for families, for example, you cannot do seven full theme park days. That's hideous. Yeah, <laughs> you know, too much. You do busy day, quiet day, and, and, and nice it's building balance. in those moments yeah. that are going to be the highlights. And it's, and it's interesting how it's not the yeah. moments you think it will be for sure. kids. yeah. Um, and just, just getting over your, your career history as well, you, you presented a programme called Holiday. Yes, right. I did, so, yes. So, well, well, yeah, I forgot I about that on stage I'm, earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, but was, I don't remember It was that. a big BBC show, <laughs> oh, it was it? amazing. And actually I had a nightmare with it because I came to Florida filming with them as well. I've been here Since a lot. Florida's your favourite destination. Yeah, I've been a lot. I was going to ask you that question later. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and it was funny because obviously you are going on national television in a bikini. <clears throat> it's not every woman's dream yeah. because telly ads 10 pounds so that's not great as a starting right. point so I'd literally checked out every bikini in London at the time I'd tried everything on and I'd found my ultimate bikini I'm like okay if I'm going on telly okay. in a bikini I'm gonna look hot so I'd found this bikini <laughs> we flew over here and at the time I had this black Samsonite case and we landed at Orlando and there was this awful moment when I saw a suitcase go round on the carousel that was exactly like mine, oh no. but it had oh, different initials on it. And I was like, <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. And we so landed similar. in the evening and someone had taken my case and their case was the only one left on the carousel, of course. Okay, yeah. And so, That's you know, bleak moment filled out all the forms, around. but we had to film at 7 a.m. the next and you morning. you had no bikini. This is like 7 p.m. I had nothing, I had no nothing. Some, so someone I somewhere no has Katie Hill's bikini <laughs> yeah, they and do. they probably don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, I had no makeup, I had no clothes. So we had to go to a shopping mall, the only one that was open, I can't even remember what it was called. And I had to buy all my makeup, I had to buy an outfit to wear. I, there was nothing open. I literally ended up with this hideous pair of linen trousers, <laughs> blue they were, I remember them vividly, and a vest top. And then the only bikini I could find that wasn't completely hideous was white leatherette. It wasn't even leatherette, oh, it was wow. pleather, yeah. <laughs> and it had Pleasant. gold studs on the top half. It was literally, if Elvis oh, had bought a bikini, yeah. he'd have bought that. And the worst <laughs> thing was, I started filming and then I had to wear that bikini and I had to wear the horrible blue trousers. And then my suitcase turned up, but for continuity, I had to keep wearing the horrible oh, clothes. No. Obviously, you are now a, well, you're now about to embark on a career as a life coach. Yes, right? coaching, and, yeah. Um, so, how did you move into that? Um, it's always been something that's really interested me and I was very aware that I realised the dream at the age of 24 and I was still the same me. And I think a lot of people have these dreams in their head and they think, once I land that thing, my life will be perfect, my life will be X, Y, Z. And, and surprise, surprise, you're the same person with all the same fears and insecurities. Mm. and. And so I remember at the time feeling like I just wanted to go to everybody on their deathbed and go, that thing you always wanted to do that you're now regretting you didn't do, it wouldn't have changed your life. You know, okay. you would have been the same you. I felt yeah. really quite like I wanted to preach about it. And, um, and I think it's so easy to not realise your potential as a human and not to be fulfilled in life. And so I've been working with some of my clients for the last year and to see the impact you can have. Mm. And it's not, coaching's not about having all the answers. Coaching's about having all the questions. Okay. The individual has their own answers. 
but it's about knowing the right questions to ask yeah. that's going to take them on the journey that they're meant to be on. It's amazing. It's really exciting. Yeah, you write about travel as well now. Yeah, I do. You? Yeah. Your, your so blog. I've got a blog at katiehill.com. Um, I write for Family Traveller. I write for Hello Magazine. I write for lots of different magazines. Um, and actually, my husband has a production company, so we also produce travel branded content, which is kind of mm. cool because we're a bit like a one man band in that we can do everything. Yeah. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's nice. And my kids are 12 and 8, so I love showing them the world. You know, I'm passionate about opening their minds and, and letting them realise what the rest of the world is like. And it's not all like the UK. Yeah. Um, I think that's super important as a parent. So, so who, who are you trying to reach in the articles? Like what's, who are you writing for? Like what's families. It? Families, okay. Yeah, families with kids similar to age yeah. to mine, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they know, they definitely know what they want from holiday. And they... Um, have a finite amount of time together. So mm. it's really important that they make the right decision and from you guys get the right advice mm. because it's a big deal, you know. It's, a, yeah. it's not a lot of time people have off to go on holiday and, and this is absolutely the time that as a family you reconnect. It's like the glue that holds you together, yeah. the family holiday, and you all go, oh, actually we do like being together. <laughs> and then that kind of spurs you on for your next phase you're going into. So close it off, let's, let's talk about yeah. your, your, your favourite destinations that you've been to. I mean, obviously you've been oh, to so many, you're 22 in just, just when you're at Blue Peter. Yeah, I mean, so, I lived with a family in Mongolia for a week when I was on the show that was phenomenal um, but that was more of a life experience rather than yeah, yeah I'd love to go back there again as a holiday location it was as a holiday location oh I'm a big fan of the Maldives well yeah <laughs> who isn't um, although the the flight time is is quite um, an issue when you've got a family I think so I'm not signing up for that one right away but love to take them there one day mm. um, but it's interesting because you kind of, there's an element as well of you don't want them to see too many of those magical Maldive type places because one day you want to give them somewhere special to go with someone special. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want them going, oh yeah, no, we've done all that. Thanks, mum sure. took us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and Rajasthan, I'd love to take them to as well. We're massive fans of the Greek islands just because the proximity to the UK and they're so easy just to get there and have a phenomenal time. And, and I think... That's what's really interesting. We, I remember we went to Italy on holiday to Tuscany and we landed um, into the airport Florence and then it's quite a fiasco getting the hire car mm. and then the motorways are quite hectic and everything. And then the following year we went to a Greek island and it was just amazing because you land and the carousel's literally right next to the aeroplane virtually yeah. and you've got Small your bags airport. before you can blink and then the car is about 10 metres from that and then you're on your way and it's just so easy. So yeah, we're big fans. Mm. Also because it's so casual with all the tavernas, you know, you're sandy yeah. from the beach and the last thing I ever want to do on holiday is this whole dress for dinner thing. Okay, great. Well, um, we've learned a lot yes. um, about uh, different destinations and uh, pleather bikinis and, yeah. and all sorts. Try so. not to think too hard on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the best. But fa um, thanks so much for taking part in Always uh, take yeah. your swimwear and your hand luggage. That's, That's my top tip. Top tip. I will um, end on that. Or you'll end up in pleather. <laughs> <laughs>
We've, we're celebrating the history of the group, um, but Andy, if you, if you tell us sort of a little bit about the, the, the past as well, so how, how we got to um, 25 years, what's changed in the time you've been here, and um, when did you join? I joined the group 10 years ago. Um, prior to that, I um, spent just over 20 years working in uh, travel, uh, predominantly joined First Choice, uh, it was owners abroad at that time. And that business obviously evolved and acquired various different companies and became First Choice. Um, and then during 2008, uh, I had the opportunity to join a team headed up by Andrew Bottrell, which was then Stella. Um, and that consisted of the Global Travel Group, there was Travel 2 and there was Travel Bag. Um, so I joined the management team uh, at that point and we spent five, six years working on consolidating those brands and organisations uh, successfully um, uh, to a point where um, we then uh, were part of the transition and the acquisition from Donata's point of view. So Donata acquired, well, it's probably three years ago. Um, and, and then, yeah, just still part of the journey, um, working with the Global Travel Group, which I became more involved with and became the managing director five years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where we are now. We were saying that you've seen a, a rise of a number of home workers, perhaps. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, well, the, the, the home worker terminology in our world, in the global world, is really somebody that's just coming into the industry. And at that stage, probably, it's more sensible to start from a home base. So we kind of class that home worker of somebody that's sort of a resident um, uh, entrant into travel. Um, so are these people who would have had background working in travel or, or, not necessarily. or they might have completely new to the industry? Yeah, might be. yeah, yeah. So, so global, if, if we're looking at the, the business model from global's point of view, was, um, and, and still is to a certain extent, um, offering a package to the general public which gives you uh, an opportunity to start your own travel business regardless of the industry that you've come from um, and that's where we actually start and that's where the organisation started and, and we, we do that really well um, we'll continue to do that and, and you know we're seeing that there's encouraging sort of future pipelines that that, that works so, so what do you look for in someone if, if they've not got a travel agency background yeah. but they want to start a travel agency what, what, what are you looking for in those people <coughs> well it's a two way thing because obviously people are coming to us via the advertising via our website our web presence from a B2C point of view um, so that initial that initial contact will usually be correspondence via the web um, the, the, the process for engaging with those customers is at some point when we've explored and had some dialogue online and made you know a couple of phone calls is to meet up um, and I encourage those um, you know th those applicants to come up to our office they'll meet with the business sales teams and we'll take them through the sort of journey of what they should expect over the next two three months um, you know with regards to their setup what they should expect what we need um, and we're, we're always really um, front we're always really upfront about the fact that it needs to be a um, a, 
a, a relationship that, that works for both parties. Mm. So we're not going to invite people into the industry that we know have got a misconception about what mm-hmm. they can work. There's an awful lot of hard work to do. Um, so it's really a two-way thing. Your members are opening up a shop, um, yep. sorry, on the high street as well. Yeah. Um, so it, that still continues, the high street, I mean, continues to be an important role. Uh, it's important it's absolutely critical from a, as a travel agent, I still, I still see, um, you know, we're opening up shops and we've got agents and examples of agents that have come from home-based locations, they're confident, they're, they're competent now to sort of move on to a high street, they feel as though they've got a client base that... Um, could support that um, and, and a travel agency on the high street is a really good mix you know with regards of what's going on with the large retailers um, you know we see travel agents have got a real good uh, long-term position on the high street and you know some interesting stats around that is it is about small businesses and with the kind of closure and all the negative news about some of the bigger retailers over the next decade it's reported that small and medium-sized businesses will be the biggest employees of the pub, you know, from a, a public point of view. On the high street. On the high street, yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, about, about you and what you do outside of, outside of work. Yeah. So what, what, what are your hobbies? Right, so my hobbies. Uh, hobbies right now are Sky Sports is a, is a, a big hobby of mine. Sheffield United is uh, um, my football team. Um, I'm a keen supporter of the Blades. Um, I, as, I as a Sheffield boy, I'm, I'm Sheffield quite glad boy, that, yeah. that Sheffield United got a little mention in Travel Weekly's podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, absolutely. <laughs> there we go. Come so, on the <laughs> um, so or, sport, generally speaking, um, um, I, I enjoy skiing. Um, I'm a keen supporter from a rugby point of view. You know, love the Autumn Internationals this year. Uh, looking forward to the World Cup next year down in Japan. So that's going to be quite interesting. We could fit that. In. You'll be going to Abtu then. We'll, we'll um, I'll, I'll see if I can sort of shoehorn that in. That, that that should be good fun. But yeah, generally I've got a wide range of interests. So. And what about holiday destinations? Have you got any particular favourite favourite places to go? Yeah, I think for me, it depends on what you want to do. You know, so I quite like to enjoy to. You know, um, I quite. I quite like, say, you know, going down to Ibiza in the summer and catching up with some of, you know, all my mates down there, having worked down there overseas. So there's still quite a, a big community down in Ibiza. That what what did you do when you were working overseas in Ibiza? I was a rep. So we started, um, um, that was my entrance into the sort of uh, travel industry by accident in some respects, where it was overseas at the time. Um, and, and for one reason or another, I ended up um, working as a holiday rep for 20s. So um, I ended up down in Ibiza for a couple of years and then spent, you know, progressively... A lot of people have sort of trodden that path, haven't they, yeah. in, in travel? You, you see a lot of people who are, like yourself, quite, quite senior, who came in as, as reps or, or, you know, ski instructors or whatever it might yeah. be. Um, so do you think, why do you think that might be, that, that people make that progression? Um, I, think, I think at that point in time it was... It was um, it was a great opportunity and, a, and a, an exciting job. It was quite a high-profile job from a social point of view. It was um, it was very different to it to the to the sort of reps these days. It was definitely an entrance into travel that was um, quite difficult to do if you were in the UK because they were quite sought-after jobs in many respects. But for a lot of different reasons, we I was overseas at the time working in the visa and kind of fell into it in many respects. Um, 
and then progressed throughout overseas into sort of senior roles, travelled all around the world, worked in lots of different destinations. And I mean, that really does set you up. You know, I think the thing was the camaraderie and the people that I met and just a whole new circle of friends and a whole new industry just captured me. Yeah, and um, obviously because you're, you're, you're still, you've worked your way up in, in the industry. So um, it, it, do you think that travel has this sort of, I mean, people talk about the travel bug, don't they? Yeah. I mean, is that, do, you, do you get on board with that phrase? <laughs> well, I wouldn't work in any other industry, is the truth, and, and, and by choice. I think there are, there are absolutely more lucrative channels from a, from a career perspective, but I think when you see the community and the way that we work and everybody, whilst we're competitors, it's a, quite a tight com- community through all the events that happen throughout the year. You know, you'll see... Uh, chief he says execs. that's part of the narrative. Yeah, no, yeah, you'll see chief execs and that mixing and mingle and having a beer with with, with anyone. Well, I suppose that, that that makes sense in that <coughs> people like yourself have, have worked f- up from um, positions as reps into senior positions. So, so yeah. it shows it, it, maybe that makes it tangible to people who are at entry level jobs to see to see a quite a yeah. exciting career path. You, you do kind of see that the fact that people have worked their way up. So there's a sort of respect and an, ad, an admiration for, you know, most people that are in senior roles have really gone and started from the bottom upwards in, in most instances. Um, if they haven't, they, they're really close to sort of the, the, the front facing staff. Yeah. And that's recognised, you know, so, and I think it's important. Yeah. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about the, the changes we've seen over the, in the past for global um, and the industry, but what, what, what do you see as the, the, the next five years, we're future gazing a little bit, um, what, what do you see the future for, for global and, and, the, and the industry? Yeah, um, well, there will be, there'll be um, bumps, undoubtedly. We've obviously got the Brexit scenario. The B which, word. <clears throat> which I think everybody, quite frankly, is, is, is just bored of. Um, but I don't know if bored's the right word, but frustrated and getting really impatient about the whole thing. I think it's, it, it's just but, outrageous. That may have changed by the time this podcast goes out. So, yeah, um, <laughs> obviously, I agree with whatever's happened. Um, yeah, no, so there's that distraction. But, and there will be bumps and there will be, um, there'll, there'll be issues and there'll be, um, you know, things that close or incidents or strikes or... But this industry has gone through all... I can't think of a, a, um, a, a geopolitical issue or a natural, um, you know, unfortunate disaster somewhere that this industry has not experienced. And I suppose um, having a lot of small businesses as members of a bigger group, uh, yeah. a consortium, um, is, is, keeps it quite nimble, doesn't it? Because each of those individual business owners is, is looking out for themselves yeah. and will see different trends and be yeah. able to adapt a bit quicker, yeah. won't they? So. Yeah, it's good for us, it's a good point actually, because we get quite a lot of intelligence and business know-how from some of our agents out there, you know, that are operating in different parts of the country, working with different products, and they will see different trends. And I often, you know, get information coming back to me and, into, and, and sort of research and business intelligence quite simply from shops in certain locations have noticed a real step change in growth because an airline's put an additional flight mm. on or a new destination's come out and it's particularly uh, dominant in the northwest or you know so you do see sort of trends and, and there is diversity within within a membership organization like ours yeah, yeah for sure cool um so 
I think that's, that's about all we've got time for. Um, we're just touching, scratching the surface there, I feel. But um, So, Andy, thanks for chatting. Um, You're welcome. You're welcome. And, uh, yeah, hope everyone's enjoyed listening. Hope you enjoyed that. Episode 6 of the Travel Weekly podcast is out next Thursday, featuring TV presenter and Travel Sphere ambassador Penny Smith. <laughs>